You know, we sing about the Lord's return. And when you look at Scripture, Jesus tells us when he'll return. People like to make those predictions. And there's one statement that always stands out to me that tells us when he'll come. He says, all shall hear, and then the end shall come. So we want Jesus to return. What should we be doing? Yeah, not complicated. Tell others about him. Jesus will show up. I long for that day. D.L. Moody, the, the founder of Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, he's known for the statement, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. And by God's help, I aim to be that man. D.L. Moody did a lot of great things for God in his life. In the statement of his, I'm familiar with it, I've known it for a while, I'm going to put my phone on silent so people don't text me during the service. You know, my mind goes in thousands of places. Shelley says, I'd love to be in your head sometimes. <laughs> so if your phone is on, maybe you turn it on silent. Maybe that was the cue. God had me remember that this morning. But, you know, the statement by D.L. Moody, it really has been floating around in my head a lot in the last month, and, and partly due in preparing the message from Heal Our Land, if you were here for that message talking about the state of our nation. Second Chronicles 7.14, because this is what God said. He said, if my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. So we had an election this past week, and uh, so things transpire as in, are going to do it in an election, but in the end, that's still not the answer. Amen. The answer is still scripture, Amen. and it's about us turning to him wholeheartedly, fully devoted to him. And so it's been a meditation as I've thought about that quote from D.L. Moody and, and looked at the scripture, that what if we truly humbled ourselves? What if we actually lived out this scripture? We read it. You know, oftentimes as we were overseas and we were discipling new believers, we had this conversation in terms of who was mature in Christ. The person who knows much about the Bible, they've grown up in the church, they've heard all the, you know, I like to joke with Pastor Zach Rainey, you know, he's of the day of flannel graphs. Anybody know flannel graphs? He'd like to bring those back. Um, some people on staff are on board for that. Others are not. But, you know, you've grow, grown up in the church. You've heard these stories. You've seen the flannel graphs. And so you know much about God. Okay, now you've got somebody who's just come to faith. And they don't really know a whole lot about the Bible. But I'm telling you, when they read the Bible, if it says it, they do it. So the question is, who's more mature in Christ? The person who knows little but does everything that's laid out? They're obedient to God. Or the person who knows much? And basically, doesn't follow it. It was a conversation for us. And of course, my answer is it's a person who obeys Scripture. That's mature in Christ. So it's been a meditation. What, what could God do through a church of people that would fully devote themselves to him in every area of their lives? The disciples, they asked Jesus how to pray. And Jesus tells them, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And here's what that disciples' prayer is. We call it the Lord's Prayer, but it was for the disciples. It's for us. Here's what God, Jesus is saying. He says, disciples, here's how I want you to pray. Up in heaven, there is nothing to block the will of God from happening. Why? There is no sin there. There is no evil there. There is nothing that stops God from doing exactly what he wants to do. So now our prayer is, God, where there is evil, where there is sin, and again, start always with us. Where it is in my life, rid my life of it, so that your kingdom can come into my life, 
which means your kingdom is coming into this world. That's what Jesus is saying. If we could get out of the way of God, what could God do? If we could rid ourselves of sin, turn from all evil, what kind of results could he bring in a church and in a nation? That's the question I've been contemplating. You know, and I'd love to find out. I'd love to be that church. Wouldn't you love to be that church where God says, you have gotten out of the way, you have ridded your life of all sin, you have turned from all evil, you've committed yourself to prayer, and now watch what I can do. We need to live with that vision in mind. So last week we were talking about a heart of thanksgiving, and, and what is in your heart is what comes out. If people are contentious with you, you need to look at maybe how are you responding to people. That's part of that passage. And so in this uh, series, as we're talking about a heart of thanksgiving, what we're looking at as it relates to our aligning our lives with the Lord, we need to do that in every area. What we watch, the way that we speak, everything that we do. And in this series in particular, we're looking at how are we handling the resources God has given us? Are we aligning our resources with God's plan for resources so that he can be a blessing, so that we can be a blessing, that God can bless the world through us? That's the question. And this is one of our core values, giving generously. I talked a little bit about that last week. So I want to look at this core value and unpack it. I've, I've talked about it, but I've not really explained in detail when I talk about giving generously what that means. And what it means is, what does the New Testament, a New Testament disciple, someone living under the New Covenant, how are they meant to steward their resources to give generously? That's what I want to look at. So I'm going to look at both the positive results of aligning our resources with the Lord and the negative consequences if we don't. So often I've heard messages talked about and you hear that God will bless you if you do this, if you align your resources this way. But what usually isn't talked about is, and if you don't, here's also what the scripture has to say. So I want to look at both of these things. But your takeaway, what I want you to remember is in the positive as we look at this message is this, for God to bless your resources, you must give generously. If you remember nothing else, remember that today. This is what it means to fulfill our fourth core value as a church. So I'm going to invite you to read John chapter 12 along with me today. That's where we're going to start, John chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you do. John chapter 12, we're going to look at verses 1 through 8. And I'm also going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word today. So we're going to read John chapter 12. Verses 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, 
but you will not always have me. So the very words of God, you may be seated this morning. So the first thing we see in this passage is that for God to bless your resources, you must give generously as a way to get rid of your selfish heart. There are two hearts displayed in this passage. We see it very clearly, a heart of selfishness and a heart of generosity. Every one of us has to deal with a heart of selfishness. No one is exempt. We talked about that in last week's message, so I'm going to bridge that forward into this week's. And if you are doubting whether or not you've been born with a selfish nature, I invite you to go and volunteer in the toddler preschool section next week, and you will see firsthand how that's lived out. Amen, somebody said. (laughs) We all have to deal with our selfish hearts. Everyone knows this. God desires that we one day outgrow our selfish hearts, and his method to develop a heart of thanksgiving in us is through giving. So if you struggle with selfishness, the best way to outgrow it is to give. When the offering bucket passes by, do as my youth pastor said, drop something in, never let an opportunity to give pass you by. It's been good advice for a lot of years. Get in the habit of giving to get rid of your selfish heart. Second thing is this, for God to bless your resources, you must give generously to avoid stealing from God. That's a hard statement. I probably won't hear too many amens on it, but that's okay. Hey, I want to read from Leviticus chapter 27. It says, every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. God said, as we look at this passage, that the tithe belongs to him. And he said this to deal with our heart of selfishness. It was a system to encourage giving because the only way to deal with a selfish heart is by learning to give. It's the same thing Shelley and I do with our kids to deal with their selfish hearts. And I'm sure you may do this with your children as well. You encourage them to share. I've yet to meet a parent that encourages their child not to share. We know this is a good thing, right? Doesn't it make your heart happy when you see your kids share? When they share popcorn money with their friends because they forgot it at home or they share their lunch with their their buddies because they didn't have any. And it makes our hearts happy because it reflects the very heart of a generous God. God who gave his son Jesus. There's joy there as we watch that unfold. So how much does the Heavenly Father smile upon us when we act in like manner? When out of our heart of thanksgiving, we're generous. You know God loves it, and his desire is for this for all of his children. Now, notice something about our passage in John. Judas managed the money box, and he used to take from it what was in it. This is what the scripture said. This was an offering bag. Jesus was a traveling minister. People gave offerings as they traveled. We know that because the Bible tells us, and so Judas was taking money out of the offering box. This is what he was doing here. Now, we've got offering buckets. We pass those. And now how many think our floor hosts, as they are distributing and passing offering buckets, would any one of them even think about taking money out of that bucket? I assure you they wouldn't. Why? Because we know it's God's money, and we're all afraid of the lightning bolt from above, right? We don't say it, but that's kind of what we're thinking. Well, let me uh, turn to Malachi. Let's see about that lightning bolt. You don't have to fear it, by the way. Malachi chapter 3. But I do love this verse. It says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. So we serve a gracious, merciful God. Don't fear the lightning bolt, okay? 
From the days of our fathers, you've turned aside from my statutes, have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God, yet you are robbing me? But you say, how have we robbed you? And your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. It's an interesting passage. The, the verses in John, they call Judas a thief for taking money out of the money box, the money bag, okay? And now in Malachi chapter 3, God is calling the Israelites thieves for not tithing. It's as though they're taking money out of the offering box. It's the same thing. But reading in verse 8, this is what it says. Well, man rob God, yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you're cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me. Now, I know this is a tough topic. It's always a challenge to talk about finances in the church. And I think part of that is because sometimes churches haven't managed their finances well, right? If we're honest. Um, Thankfully, this church from long ago put things in place to ensure that that wouldn't be the case here. And some pastors, they even ignore about talking about finances altogether. But I would say if it's in here, shouldn't we be talking about it in here? And especially since the Bible flat out says you're living under a curse if you're not lining up your resources with God. That's weighty. I had called my dad. My dad, if you don't know, is a retired minister. I called him. I don't call him about every message, but this is one where I called him. Because, uh, you know, I sat under his preaching for a lot of years. And I said, Dad, what are, your, what are your thoughts on communicating this passage? And he said, he said, I'll be honest with you, I very rarely ever brought up the curse aspect of things. He said, because as soon as you do, people will turn you off. So, I'm going to challenge you this morning, if that's you, don't. I want you to hear my heart behind this passage, okay? Because I want to bring shed light on all things. Because what I have seen is, I'm not doing you any favors as a pastor to dodge this topic. I'm not. Shelly and I love you. We absolutely do. We've been here, so we came. It was fun to think about. So last November, first weekend in November, we came and candidated. So it's fun when I get to November to think. And So the pictures are, have been uh, coming up on our Facebook feed of our time here. So it's been a lot of fun to reflect. Now, we didn't come here a year ago full-time, but we came and visited, and God had us come. And we really love you. You are a great group of people. Um, and I know that as we have had new people come into the church, all of them have said, you guys are some of the most welcoming people I've ever met. And it really is the case. So out of love, I want to talk about a heart of thanksgiving. I want to talk about God's view on financial resources, and I hope you're okay with that. And if you're not, feel free to talk to Leon Troyer, our church treasurer. I'd be happy to give you his phone number after church today. Don't try to FaceTime him. He's got a flip phone. <laughs> he said at some point he's going to chuck that phone at me if I keep talking about his phone. <laughs> Uh, you know, and I know some of you could be thinking I'm talking uh, about a series on financial stewardship because giving is down. That's absolutely not the case. I knew as I was praying, you know, we were voted in here last November, and I began to pray, Lord, what would you have me walk through with the church this year? And the two things that, that the Lord really put in my heart was Jesus and community. And if you look back on the series that we've walked through, it's been those two themes. And as it relates to this particular series, it's all about community. It's about community and how God calls his church to handle resources in God's community. It's his economy. So I'm preaching through this series not because giving is down. In fact, we are projected, and you guys will see this in next year's annual report, to exceed last year's giving, which was a high year because of a stewardship campaign for the balcony. 
Yeah, so last year was the highest year in giving the churches have ever seen, but it was a stewardship year. Yet this year, we're projected to exceed that even without stewardship. Yeah, praise the Lord. And I want you to know that because I don't want you to have the perception of he's talking about giving because giving is down. It's quite the opposite. I'm talking about giving because I want you living under God's blessings in your life. Does that make sense? Because the Bible says if you're not lining up your resources... Your resources fall in one of two categories. Your resources are either cursed or blessed, depending on how you're utilizing them in the kingdom, according to God's standard. As you continue reading Malachi, here's the good news on this whole verse. And this is what we celebrate. So as we collect offerings, this is the celebration piece, because God says, you line up your resources with me, here's what happens. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test as the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. What a promise. God is saying, if you line up your resources with me, abide by biblical stewardship, I will bless your resources. That's what he says. And here's how he says he's going to do it. You keep reading in Malachi. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed. You will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Now here's how I've seen this lived out. Shelley and I have always tithed. And we've always seen how God has provided for us. But in modern terms, this is what it's saying. And your business will flourish, not affected by the market. This is what I've seen. Your car will drive further than it ever should. You begin tithing in a job promotion you've been waiting for. It opens up. This is the modern day. As we look at the field, this is the field that we're in. This is the regular stories I hear from tithers in the church, in this church, and in every church that we've been in. In simple terms, here's what God is saying. You can do more with a blessed 90% than you can with a cursed 100%. That's the principle. It's very simple. So the question is, do you have cursed resources in your bank account? Or do you have blessed resources in your bank account? It's one or the other. God makes it very clear. If you're not tithing, Scripture would say you're stealing from the offering bucket as it passes by. For God to bless your resources, last point, you must give generously according to three levels of giving. We've talked about it. The Bible says that there's three levels of giving. Tithes, offerings, and extravagant offerings. I've called that supernatural giving as well. I talked about this when we collected faith promises for our missions conference. If you look at any example of offering in the Bible, you'll see it fits into one of these three categories. Uh, we have Abraham. He tithed to Melchizedek. This story is shared in Genesis, but it's referenced in Hebrews, reinforcing the sense of tithe under our new covenant in Christ. King David's contribution to the building of the temple, this was an extravagant offering. It was huge. Paul collected offerings for the church in Jerusalem. He even told the church in Corinth how the churches of Macedonia gave extravagant offerings. It says, they gave beyond their means, Paul wrote. This is a supernatural gift. And Paul said these churches gave extravagantly, and here's the motivation, for the joy of sharing with others. That's the motivation for giving. You know, and sometimes people would like to say that tithing is an Old Testament principle, that it doesn't apply to Christians today. I've had that conversation with a lot of people, so I'd like to address that. And in some regards, actually, people aren't wrong, but not in the way that they think, and I'm going to lay that out for you. Matthew records an incident in Matthew chapter 23. I want to turn there. Here's what Jesus is talking to some Pharisees. He says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even to the tiniest income from your herb gardens. But you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. 
And then Jesus says, you should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Here's what we find with Jesus as you look at his teachings in the New Testament. During the Sermon on the Mount in in, uh, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus walks through. First of all, he says, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it, and I'm going to share with you how it should be fulfilled. So he goes through this list. He says, you've heard it said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. He goes through this list. You can look it up in Matthew chapter 5. But then Jesus says, but I say, and he gives the interpretation of what the, the law was really meant to be. And here's what's important for Jesus. It's the spirit behind the law that matters, not the letter of the law. For Jesus, the spirit of the law is more important than the letter of the law or the law taken literally. The literal law is important, but the spirit of the law is what's ultimately significant. Here's an example. In the Old Testament, if your ox falls into the ditch on the Sabbath, you can get it out. Well, the question is, what happens if your horse falls in? What happens if your child falls in? What happens if your wife falls in? What are you supposed to do? Man, be careful here. Jesus says, if something needs to be done on the Sabbath, do it. If your ox falls in, get it out. If your wife falls in, run fast and get her out. (laughs) The purpose of the law is more important than the literal command. So Jesus doesn't get rid of the law. He encourages people to dig into it and find out what's behind the law. The spirit of the law is really what's important. So people were filling the law externally, but internally they were no better off for fulfilling it. This is not what the law was meant for. And this is what Jesus is talking about with the Pharisees. They were tithing. I mean, your herb garden, can you imagine? Like, how do you take a tenth of a piece of parsley? Well, that's what they were doing. I mean, they were going to follow it to the letter. But Jesus says, okay, tithe, but don't neglect the things that matter, justice, mercy, and faith. Jesus says, you should tithe, yes. He affirms the tithe. But here's the thing, and this is where people would like to say tithing, Uh, is no longer applies to Christians today, this is where they'd be incorrect. Jesus affirms the tithe, but as you look through the New Testament, keep reading, you'll see that those living under the new covenant in Christ, they tithe, but they also gave offerings. So it's almost as though the tithe became a minimum threshold of what it meant to be in the kingdom of God. They didn't limit themselves to 10%, they gave beyond it. They're committed to giving generously. The spirit behind the law of the tithe is that as God is generous, so should we be generous. Christians reflect the very nature of God by giving generously, and we talked about that last week. Giving not restricted to the tithe, but giving tithes, offerings, and extravagant offerings. This is the example we have. New Testament believers give beyond 10% because the spirit behind the law is that everything belongs to God, in case you didn't know. We're simply stewards, and so we're to be generous as God is generous. So for those that would like to say tithing is not a New Testament principle, I'd say you're right. You should be giving well beyond 10%. Congratulations. It's never what they want to hear, though. (laughs) The answer for people uh, looking at it in this regard is that God knows best for your resources. We so often want to say we know best, so we're going to determine where things should go. But God is saying, I know best. Be generous as I am generous. Jesus even affirms extravagant offerings. One day he's sitting at the temple He's watching people putting their gifts into the offering box, and one of them is a widow who puts in two small copper coins. And here's what he tells the disciples. Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. That's extravagant. She gave beyond her means. And if Jesus is lifting her up, you know that God took care of that widow. To be a New Testament believer 
is not only to tithe, but to give offerings as well. The spirit behind the law of tithing in the New Testament is one of giving generously. Tithes, offerings, and extravagant offerings. This is why, as we talked about faith promise, my goal was 100% participation. I didn't have a dollar goal. That didn't matter as much to me. I simply wanted everyone to participate so that everyone can get in line with being a New Testament giver. That's the goal, to give generously. And now some of you are new to the church. You could be asking, well, what is the tithe? I I don't know a whole lot about that. The tithe is the first 10% of everything that God provides. For me, when I was growing up, my parents taught me this early. I'd get a birthday card for my grandmother They would look to see what the money was, and they would say, okay, so what's 10%? What's a tithe? So I've been tithing since I was a kid. They taught me that very early on. The first 10% goes right to God. So the first 10% would be out of your gross income. It goes to the local church, the church general fund. It talks about going to the storehouse. The storehouse is God's house. So it's not 5% to the local church and 5% to a TV ministry. I relate that because I've gotten that question. The 5% you gave to the TV ministry would be in what category? It's an offering. That means you still have some tithe that belongs to the Lord. So on our offering envelopes, I'm going to pull that up. This is why we've broken it up the way that we have to make it very simple for you to understand. There's tithes, there's offerings, and there's extravagant offerings. Those are the three that it relates to as a New Testament giver. That's what it means to give generously. Designated giving is called offerings. So it's not 5% to tithes and 5% to missions as tithes. I love missions, But when I give to missions, it's an offering. My tithe is in a different category. And I wanted to make this clear, so that's why we made our offering envelopes very clear. And it's unfortunate that most Christians, they never tithe. The first level of giving. Studies show that less than 10% of Christians tithe. It's a really low number. It's unfortunate, considering our verse in Malachi states that their resources are living under a what? Yeah. Why would people want to live like that? I can tell you the church here we've looked at, probably about 25% of people in this church tithe. So it is higher, but that still means about 75% of people are living under what? I just want you to understand that. Why would people want to live that way? I'll never understand it. For some, it's, it's likely they didn't know. In fact, part of the motivation as we were getting into this series was understanding we've got new people to the church, and unless you have God's view on finances, you wouldn't even know that. But now that you know, the question is, what are you going to do about it? 18 years ago, I've loved learning the history of the church. This church was in a pastoral transition, and the leadership team met with the district officials from the state of Indiana, and those officials came in and said, okay, you need to drop your attendance by a third, and you're giving in half. That was the instruction from the district office. In my opinion, that's not very much faith, but I'll let them deal with that. But for the church, although some people did leave in the midst of that transition, giving never stopped. Giving was never cut in half. Because there's a core group of people here that understand, for our homes to be blessed, for this church to be blessed, we're going to keep giving because we want to live under God's guidelines for us as a church. So you're sitting among people that understand this principle. And here's what's interesting. If a person reaches the first level of giving, I love this part, they easily reach the second and third level. And here's why. The curse is broken and the windows of heaven are open over your home. You tithe, your resources are now blessed by God, and you have the ability to give offerings and extravagant offerings. It's that simple. So this is how it works for Shelly and I. We have on our phones, it's called the Every Dollar app. I've mentioned it before. I like it because it syncs between our phones, so it's not like we're operating on two different checkbooks. How many know that's a bad practice? I don't recommend that. 
So for us on the Every Dollar app, it's from Dave Ramsey. So the first line items are tithes and offerings. So it ensures that for us in our giving, the first 10% goes to tithe. And then we write in our budget offerings because we personally support a number of cross-cultural workers. Uh, anytime the church provides opportunity to give, like the backpack drive, the 5K run, this month it'll be the, the season of giving offering, we make sure we have that in our budget because we want to know that we're committed to giving tithes and offerings. But then as we do faith promise, that's an extravagant gift, that's a supernatural gift, we pray and say, God, what do you want to do through us as a family? He gave Shelly and I the same number, so we're trusting that God is going to bring that to pass. It's not in my budget, but I can't wait to tell you next November how God brought that in. And I've walked with God long enough to know he'll do it. You need to start seeing those testimonies to understand this is the way the kingdom of God operates. This is the way God operates. This is his plan for stewardship. Three levels of giving. It defines those who line up to our core value of giving generously. Tithes, offerings, and extravagant offerings. And so I ask, have you set up your budget to include tithes and offerings? I would encourage you to do it. Go home this afternoon. Did you sign up for a faith promise? Take time this week to rewrite your budget so that you can make sure your finances are living under God's blessings. Let's all commit to being New Testament givers. Let's align our resources with God and watch as he brings the results that he desires through this church. For God to bless your resources, you must give generously. So my wife and I have been married for nine years. We have four kids. We had a lot of disagreements about finances and where our money should go. Our finances were really tight because of the fact that we were just not planning well. A lot of times it was just a completely stressful situation of knowing that we're living paycheck to paycheck and we are struggling to make ends meet. We would usually try and pay all of our bills down first and then whatever was left, it's like we might tithe. We never really felt like we had the money to do it. So then we took that Dave Ramsey's class and one of the things that he talks about is, you know, people say that a lot is I've paid all my bills and then at the bottom there's no money left to tithe. And I love his statement where he says, well, you have your budget upside down. You tithe first, then you start with your bills. That really opened our eyes that God wants you to give the first of your fruits and he tells you to test him on it. My wife and I were debating, uh, should we go ahead and just start giving the full amount of 10% of, of our income? And we were really nervous about it. I, we, we put it on a budget and we saw that it was gonna be negative. On paper, it, it wasn't gonna work. We prayed about it and we just took that leap of faith and we decided to do it and just trust God. There were times where we were really close to not being able to pay a bill. No matter what the situation was, God always sent the money somehow. A few months later, I got a promotion at work which came with a sizable salary increase. It was completely unexpected. We adjusted our tithe to match that salary increase. We knew that we were putting God first in our finances and every first bit of our finances was going to God and that ultimately took the money fight out of it. The church in their bulletin actually has their budget and what really made me feel good is I helped contribute to that. We kept faithfully giving. Um, it really helped our marriage as well. 
When we first started tithing, I also made the decision that I was going to start volunteering at the church. It, it's good to know that, that I'm making a difference, not only with my tithing, but with my time. I love that Mick laughed when he said on paper, it didn't make sense. <laughs> and he, you know what? He laughs because we have so many people in the church that live under the tithing principle. It honestly doesn't make sense in human terms sometimes. Until you start to live it out, and then God does extraordinary things in your resources. Um, I'm going to go ahead and mention here, but I'm going to follow up with it next week. The 90-day challenge piece that's on the offering envelope is I, I never uh, would admonish people or encourage people to test God except that in this particular scripture, God says, test me. So I'm actually going to provide opportunities. So I'll tell you this ahead of time. You can sign up next week that you will have opportunity to test God on this, to do a 90-day giving challenge where you're going to say, I'm going to commit to doing tithe for 90 days, and I'm going to see if, if this is really true. So I'm letting you know that for you to begin to think and process, is that something that we could try to do? And I say this because I met with our accountant. I had her set up a, a separate account for this to basically hold money there for those 90 days. And if somebody comes back and says, you know what, this really didn't work out for us, then she'll give the money back that was given. So I really want to provide you an opportunity to test God in this. Why? Because I know this biblical principle to be true. I've lived it for a lifetime. Mick, you want to come share? <laughs> Can I borrow a microphone, Shelly? Uh, we all are on the uh, prayer. We pray at one hour every day. And um, what I want to encourage you is, is that um, the power of agreement is just awesome. And when I pray for this body, I pray Malachi. I pray that God will open up the windows of heaven over you. We are agreeing on the word of God as tithers. And I pray that over you. And I also pray over you and agree with you that the devourer in your life will be rebuked. You will be the head and not the tail. Amen. That's what I pray. And as you give and as you tithe, we can all pray that prayer. We can all be in agreement that God is going to open up the windows of heaven that day. And that day, you will not be devoured anymore. You can walk in the hope of all of us walking the same. I just want to share that with you. I just got it. Because as Deanna and I have walked our lives, um, we have seen the power work, and we've seen it, the power of agreement work in our home. We pray together, we agree together, and we've seen God do miraculous things over the last 45 years in our lives, and because of the power of agreement. So I want to encourage you, please, come into agreement with us. Join with us. Be that, that rope that will not be broken. That bind, that tie that we have together as a body. Let's come together. Let's put the devil on the run. Let's rise. Let's let the devourer be rebuked in our homes. And let's be the head. Amen. Thank you, Mick. And what could God do? What could God do with a church full of people committed to living biblical principles, including in tithe and resources? 
what could he do in your home as he opens up the windows of heaven for you and your spouse and your kids? We won't know until you test God in this principle. So I'm going to encourage you to test God. I'm going to have you sign up if you want to be a part of that next week. I'm just going to close this in prayer and trust that God will work in your hearts as you begin to examine where am I at with you, God? Where am I out of alignment? And where, in specific to this message, am I out of alignment in my resources? God, I just pray that you would pour out your blessings upon these people as they commit themselves to your word, your principles. Jesus, I just pray that you truly would fulfill that promise of opening up the windows of heaven to pour out your blessings upon people's lives. Lord, not that challenge will not come, for we know that you also said challenges will come, but we know with you on the throne, with our eyes on you, we can live rightly in your name and be blessed by it. So God, I pray that as we commit ourselves to you in this body, to align everything to you, Father, everything we say, everything we do, everything we think, even now to our resources, as we align with you, Lord, you will bring the results in our lives that you mean to bring to pass. So God, I just pray that you would encourage hearts today to live out this principle in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand this morning. We're going to close in song. But before we go today, I want to ask if there's anyone here today that hasn't made a decision to follow Jesus. You, you maybe would say, you know what? I have not been operating out of a heart of thanksgiving. I have not been working out of a generous heart. Your heart has not been redeemed by Christ. But you would say, you know what? But I want the right heart. I want a heart of thanksgiving. I want to live for Jesus. If you could just bow your heads here this morning across the room. I'm just going to ask if that's you today and you would like to say, I'd like my life to be changed. I'd like a new heart in you. Simply raise your hand. I'm going to pray with you this morning. We want to get you a Bible and information on where you go from here. Anyone here today that would like to say, I'd like to follow Jesus? Hand here in the back on the left. Anybody else? Anybody else that say, yes, Jesus, I want a new heart. I know that only you can give it. No human system can change the human heart. Only God can. So if you want that changed heart today, simply raise your hand. We'll pray with you before you go. Anybody else here this morning? God, we just pray as you have stirred in hearts a decision to follow you. I I pray, Lord, that you would confirm this person's life, a desire to follow you with all their heart, their soul, their mind, and their strength. May they be committed to you and your church so that they can grow and develop and become more like you. We're not meant to live life alone. We're meant to grow in Christ together. So I pray that you would do that here today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As you uh, made that decision to follow Christ, if I could encourage you, Pastor Jennifer is up here on the stairs. If you could come and meet with her, she'll give you a Bible information on where you go from here. We don't want to leave you alone in that decision for Christ. We want to give you information on how you follow Jesus for a lifetime. So they're going to sing. We're going to all sing together. I'll come up and dismiss. But as we do, I just would encourage you, you made that decision, or maybe you didn't raise your hand, but you want to follow Christ, come up to the front, and we'll give you information on how you can do that and get, get a Bible into your hands. So let's sing.